Okay, cool. Welcome to this week's uh, episode. Um, so today I'm honoured to be joined by my very special guest, uh, Rija Javid. Um, Rija, welcome. Thank you. Uh, it was like quite a while ago now. We were sat in the, the Ned quaffing our lemonades, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so Rija, you are a CTO with uh, an exemplary profile, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, you've established engineering teams um, and tech departments in multiple companies uh, across multiple locations globally. Um, notably, you've, you've done that with companies like Wealthfront over in Silicon Valley, and then recently obviously you've moved over to, to London to, to do a similar thing over here. So today we're just going to have a little chit-chat, cool. as we do, um, and uh, talking about lots of things probably, because I have a tendency to deviate <laughs> off track quite quite okay. often. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, mainly we're going to talk around uh, the theme of a subject which I often uh, end up speaking to clients about, which is, you know, how do you best create a high performance engineering team? Cool. Yeah. So um, as experience goes, I think there's probably not a better person for me to be speaking to uh, about this, considering your, uh, you know, what you've done in the past. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we could start by um, talking about, you know, right at the beginning stage of a, a process and, and kind of tackling some of the issues that are involved around attracting talent to the business in, mm-hmm. in the first place. Because, you know, you've obviously been part of startup companies, you've been part of uh, more established companies. Um, but in those kind of high growth businesses, you know, how do you go about creating and promoting an employer brand, you know, uh, in somewhere that's comparatively young to an established business if you, you don't kind of have that story yet? To, to talk about, or you don't necessarily have that kind of uh, settled culture uh, behind you. Um, how do you go about attracting talent when you're, uh, you know, you're trying to trying to grow? Cool. Um, yeah. Thank you. I think first and foremost, um, I reflect back on what I am looking for when I try to join a company, or even uh, being associated with a project within a company, as it may be. And the criteria that I've had hasn't changed from when I started started working literally as an intern to like now where I am in my career. Um, and so first and foremost, what comes to mind is culture and people for me. You know, um, you know, culture is very much made up of the people and the demographics and it's going to evolve over time, which is something extremely important to kind of like, you know, keep in mind as opposed to sticking to some past cultural principles you may have had when you were a company of 10 or 20 versus now you're being 200 or whatever. But then the other factor that I very much believe in is that culture uh, also comes a lot from leadership and leadership every which level. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, in terms of attracting that talent, where the people culture aspect is extremely important, um, like already as a given, if you're there, hopefully you join particularly, and it's a good team to join. Yeah. So there are kind of good people around you. Um, the other thing is I think you're only a hiring manager, no matter what function, discipline, industry. At the end of the day, you're only as good as your high, uh, recruiting partner. If you don't have one, then that probably means that you're actually wearing that hat yourself as well, which particularly maybe very early stage startups, that may actually be the case. Um, and then the second part is, uh, I, at least I, and whenever the people that I've hired and worked with, you always want to learn and grow. I think as human beings, no matter what we're doing personally and professionally, we always want to be learning and growing in life. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, at least for myself, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. So based on kind of like some of these, often am, so. <laughs> based on some of these criteria, then creating that culture that is able to um, give evidence to these factors as it may be. So, you know, 
literally going about in terms of how you're creating your job descriptions of like what they look like in terms of requirements and skill set of just how you're describing the company and the role as it may be to like putting out like doing the tech branding that may be through engineering blog posts that may be through tech talks that you're doing internally or just like you know good folks from within the company are going and talking at other places and really kind of creating that environment where the high level goal is not just like, oh, I'm trying to recruit the best talent, but it's more so that spread of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of like, I think at the end of the day, also curtailing it based on where you are as a company and the type of talent that you want to be acquiring, where sometimes um, you may think you may need more experienced people at other phase of the company in terms of what you're trying to achieve. It may be that a mix of younger and experienced talent or maybe a larger bunch of younger talent might be good. So you kind of have to cater it towards that, where if it's younger talent, you might be going to a lot of universities and colleges in terms of college fairs, versus if it's more experienced hires, then referrals tend to be a good way and you might be going through maybe even some outsourced search firms to try to find some senior level talent. Yeah, okay, cool. Um. So when it comes to identifying the talent, that's that's obviously some really good points there about how you go about you know sourcing those people and finding those people. When you actually get to the stage where you you know you, you bring them in for an interview, um, I think long gone are the days where you know if you're looking for a, a permanent Python engineer, for instance, you get sort of twenty people queuing up at your door to to interview. I think you know in this. In this market, the commodity now is very much the, the candidate because there's a huge supply and demand kind of paradigm at play here, and obviously the demand is massively outstripping supply sure. at the moment. Um, but still not as bad as Silicon Valley or even Seattle. I, I can only imagine. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, but um, you know, often clients ask me, you know, "Are we are we paying enough? What, why can't we secure the talent we're looking for? Is it you know, we're not paying enough? Do we not have the right uh, package? Whatever it is." And my advice to clients often around this is that. It's not necessarily about what you're paying, because you know, I think a lot of software engineers aren't necessarily that financially motivated. It's you know, more about the, the job itself and the kind of culture of the business. But often, and what we're seeing at the moment is that a lot of the, the better engineers are not necessarily going to the, the better companies or the ones that have the better reputation in the market. They're going to those that have the best processes, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of slickest processes when it comes to interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, there's a genuine the candidate feels like they're really wanted in that business, you know, they've kind of been made to feel special yeah. um, and actually, you know, they're kind of very, uh, feel very warm towards that particular company that they choose to, to join. Um, and I think that's a real art to, you know, making sure that you thoroughly vet candidates to make sure you're getting the right person, yeah. but also the candidate feels really engaged and really kind of special when they walk through the door to start as well. So how do you, you know, what are your kind of thoughts on creating a, a, a positive candidate experience so when you do identify these kind of elite talented professionals mm-hmm. you are pretty uh, able to secure them and actually deliver them into the business um i mean i think at the end of the day particularly for some of those more experienced hires and maybe if it's like younger junior talent straight out of university and college it might be very much a similar process that they kind of go through i mean i think at the end of the day it's the people that make anything worth it so making sure that the people that they are going to be interacting with, not just during that interview process, uh, but particularly if they were to take on this opportunity, are kind of going to be well matched for them. Uh, whenever I'm kind of like hiring or even within a company staffing a particular project, 
it's not just about that one individual or the company or the project as maybe it's actually about that overall environment and do they actually fit with it right mm. so when you have to hire somebody or you don't want to hire somebody or you have to even let somebody go it's not that the company or that person was bad it's just that there wasn't necessarily that fit so mm. making sure that the people that they're going to be meeting like there's going to be some sort of good fit based on the information that i and other people that they have spoken to thus far have been able to glean the other part of it is um you know being as welcoming and as gracious as possible even if it is somebody who they might be an intern versus somebody who's been working for anywhere from like five to 15 years or whatever else is it maybe right um every everyone's time is valuable so let's be respectful of that the other philosophy that i have um particularly when i was working in companies and the industries that uh, that i have worked in you tend to deal with a lot of third-party partners mm. and so for me the image that you're projecting to outside people it's not just about me Rija, as whatever it's actually i'm representing that whole company yeah so i actually need to do a much better job in terms of my interactions and communications with that individual versus even if i'm talking to somebody internally within company i mean ideally all of that communication all the time is like super great but that means in terms of like not just being welcoming and gracious but that being like super responsive as well I have had, to be honest, some like terrible experiences with some of that stuff where mm. like, you know, either they take like excruciatingly long or sometimes they just don't respond back or whatever. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's kind of like answer enough. Um, so I, I think like just being respectful of that other individual and their sensibilities and trying to cater to that and being responsible with that timeline as well too. Because as you said, in this day and market, people may have many other opportunities to choose from and they'll probably have various other personal and professional constraints that you may not even be aware of, right? So don't be that blocker for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, the speed of which obviously you can be responsive to a situation is is clearly going to help. Um, you know, I, I fully agree with that. Um, I think it, a lot of it is also about, you know, putting yourself on the other side of the table. You know, if you're interviewing for a company, yeah. um, bearing in mind this kind of, power shift or this kind of balance I think probably more towards yeah. the candidate that's happened over the last few years yeah you kind of think about if you know you're the commodity in the market yeah what kind of experience do you would you like to have in that business and I think it's also just like I say the recognition of um it's more of an emotional appeal really when I speak to a lot of candidates I think that the thing that often um you know stands out for candidates about why they've chosen the company they've chosen is that they feel they would actually just really get on with those people mm-hmm. outside of the office you know because they've seen the environment you know and that could be even something as as, as futile as just taking them out for a drink with the team before right. they start you know just yeah. so they can get to, to to feel the the team environment and um, that said though as an employer obviously you don't want to be pandering to every single person that comes through the door and obviously you've got to make sure that it's the right person for you at the end of the day as well so how do you go about um in your experience how do you go about interviewing for software engineers and what do you feel is kind of the most effective um, interview structure um, you know I'm talking in terms of kind of content and duration and sort of number of stages do you have a process that you personally like to stick to or yeah uh, be? Um, I mean I think kind of like on more so kind of like the technical aspects of things usually there's whatever internal sourcing as it may be or maybe it's a referral or maybe they even reached out or whatever as it may be um, then there might be a call with the recruiter, that hiring partner or somebody from their team to kind of wet them. And then after that, if everything kind of like looks good and everything, 
usually doing like a 45 minute technical phone and trivia call where particularly if it is a software uh, engineer there's a bunch of like online coding um software that you can actually use where both of them are kind of doing pure programming you can actually compile the code you can actually test it um and that's a good way to kind of like throw a problem at them kind of see how their functional programming skills are but also how their problem solving skills are and then maybe leave somewhere around like 10 to 15 minutes depending potentially maybe also on the seniority of the client or the candidate and what you're trying to get out of that to ask them some other questions and also give them a chance to learn more about you and this opportunity that goes well then usually it's a full day of onsite where you will do another like functional programming interview where kind of like sitting together call it pair programming but it's not exactly pair programming or like you know the person who's interviewing them is kind of like okay like this is the problem that we're trying to solve and that's more so like you can talk about all these different principles in terms of oh the person does tdd or i write really clean modular code and everything or this is kind of like you know how i design my methods or how i think about it but this would actually be practically seeing them design these systems i mean of course you're not actually designing the system but how to work through this problem um and then after that um somewhere around 45 minutes or so for some problem solving exercise which would be more so white for me um and maybe something wrong like some algorithm maybe graphs trees whatever it may be but really more so on the problem solving side of things okay um, would you need all levels of experience or more for kind of senior hires or all levels of experience just to see how they think or yeah i've done yeah. that with interns and everything okay um and then um and then usually uh at least like a half hour engineering culture interview so one of the things that i've kind of like seen in companies that say that they're tech companies but not really because they're not truly tech driven is that they would just do these technical interviews but the culture aspects would be left to the non-technical people to talk to them about versus cult- i mean culture is everywhere right yes there's going to be a company culture but there's also facets of that culture so the engineering team will have nuances of it and some differences potentially just based on like what they're responsible for and what their day to day looks like versus the product team versus the sales team the client services team right mm-hmm. so each one of these orgs will over time kind of have their own unique culture that develops i mean they're still kind of like it's embedded in the larger high level company culture so i think doing like a half hour so that culture kind of like wide check as it may be and that's not just like on the culture aspects but that's also to glean other kind of like non-technical aspects in terms of the things that I would usually look for is not just whatever past experiences that they've had but what's their actually potential are they somebody who's ambitious but ambitious in a good way do they possibly want to kind of like learn and grow are they somebody who's going to be more of a self starter and a self somebody who's going to self prioritize versus somebody who needs to be micromanaged to some particular level and how would they fit along with the team and even asking them some like kind of like technicalish cultural questions in terms of philosophies like giving them some practical problem and all of a sudden you're thrown into this how would you actually deal with it right and just mm-hmm. kind of under like doing a little bit more so of um giving certain scenarios and asking them how they would deal with it um that I think is helpful if all of that usually goes well then it may not be done particularly for like super junior candidates but particularly if you have some levels of experience then getting them to do some like half hour chats 
to some of the stakeholders that they would be working closely with. Mm-hmm. Depending on the size of the company, yes, there are folks on uh, startups where like somebody from the leadership team or the founders like, no, 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 I want to do kind of like the final check. That's something that needs to be scaled up, but particularly you would want some non-technical people. So that's usually kind of the process that I've kind of gone through. But right. high level for me is more so the culture aspect, as I talked about, growth, potential, ambition, and how do they fit within the overall team that they would be part of, not just about them as an entity. Wow, okay. So that's, that's really quite um, involved process that you go through. It's really encouraging to hear, actually, you're taking this quite holistic approach to things mm-hmm. because... Um, that actually, I would say, when I'm sat down in front of a client now talking about a requirement, yeah. very often that personality and team fit um, element of things actually is equally important, if not more important in a lot of cases than mm-hmm. the technical ability alone. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and I think we've got, I mean, my kind of 10 years in recruitment, I think I've seen that shift actually from where technology was kind of 10 years ago to where it is today. You know, with a lot of businesses, it's kind of no longer seen as this bolt-on function onto the side of a, a business and it's like oh yeah we've got a tech department somewhere some guys who, you know sort out the pcs to where it's today where you know we are a technology-driven society really aren't we you know with, with apps and and how software we interact with it and how it changes our life on a daily basis and i think now um technical people within a business they are truly driving the change of, of, of business so people that can have that kind of awareness of the business as a whole, people who've got good soft skills, people who've got good communication skills, people who can interact with others, you know, because uh, you could be the best candidate in the world technically, you know, yeah. an absolute guru when it comes to coding, but if you're, you know, a horrible individual to be around <laughs> and you don't listen to anybody and, you know, you, then you're not going to get very far, I don't think, yeah. in this, this kind of world moving forward. So I think that's been a really kind of interesting um you know, fundamental shift really over the last few uh, last few years. Um, Although I would argue that there still needs to be a lot more done on that aspect in the European tech scene. Okay, interesting. So you've obviously had experience of you know working in Silicon Valley for a number of years, um, Canada as well, and obviously London. So what what do you think are the kind of major differences in your experience between the Silicon Valley and the London tech scene, for instance? I think it's exactly that, as you said, that cultural difference. Um, I very much believe that good draw talent can be found anywhere. I mean, I'm originally from Canada. That's where I did undergrad and grad school. Um, but it's more so the culture. And as you said, where tech is thought of more so as that behind the scenes thing, being brutally honest in a lot of scenarios that I've seen, in a good case, that tech is a code monkey. In the worst case scenario, tech is an IT lackey. Neither of those are good. Uh, I think the high level difference is, of course, every single geography demographic is gonna be different and you're gonna evolve over time. You know, every city, every company culture is gonna be unique in its own way. But I think one of the key differences is that in the Bay Area, you have technologists at the VC and founder level who are trying to disrupt the traditional industry versus in London, as well as other scenes that I've seen in Europe, particularly like say Berlin, Amsterdam, some other places, you tend to have people from traditional industry, and London is an example, quite a few people from traditional finance Mm. that are then trying to disrupt that traditional industry. And they're coming from places where there's not much of a concept of tech, they just think of them as this IT lackey for them. 
their mental models are also totally different. The cultural values that in a lot of cases that they're coming from are totally different. The world that I at least kind of grew up in, the Bay Area, was more so that it's the people that make the difference, but it's not an NGO, it's not a volunteer service or whatever, so you got to ultimately value that people, right? Mm. Um, and engineering is in tech is more than just writing code. For me, the reason why I have been attracted to startups is that it allows me the ability to ultimately become a business leader. And I'm not just there, somebody behind the scenes and thinking of it as tech. I'm thinking about it overall for the whole business as it may be. That's just such a big difference based on the companies I've chatted to, the founders, as well as even the VCs, um, where they're coming from and what they're actually, how they're vouching or looking at some of these companies. So for me, that's the big difference. and I, I think there's still quite a few years uh, for London and the rest of the European tech scene to kind of like catch up in terms of that development. Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. I mean, we were talking about that. I think it is that kind of pragmatic approach to uh, almost extrapolating out what technology, you know, technology is not technology for the sake of technology. Technology is there to solve wider world problems, you know, for, for the business fundamentally. And I think people that are able to make that mental transition from well you know this is the best new technology out on the market so i really want to work with this technology for this particular application to actually is this the right technology to use to solve the problem Mm -hmm. because you know fundamentally we're here to professional problem solvers you know that's the whole point of technology is to solve that problem and kind of having that pragmatism to um, do what is best for the business you know the right tool for the right job Mm -hmm. and i think people that have that ability to kind of um unlock themselves from that need to work with technology for sake of technology um, are seemingly more valuable to the to the market and yeah. to the business they're a part of. Um, with that in mind, you mentioned earlier about you know kind of what uh, drives individuals and that's some of the questions that you ask in an interview about you know how are they how are they kind of motivated. Um, you've obviously managed very large engineering teams, um, clearly very experienced in uh, managing probably lots of different people, lots of different personality types and that kind of thing. Um, and I know it's quite an overarching wider question, but how do you how do you motivate people? You know, how do you get the, the kind of peak performance out of people in, in your experience? Um, and not only for them personally, but how do you get them to kind of go <clears throat> above and beyond for for the company, you know, in your experience? Um, so I mean it's first and foremost in terms of actually having that truly kind of growing and thriving culture but also a culture that actually values people um and that's what i kind of also mean is some of the differences that i've seen between Beria and the european tech scene is i think very much some of these folks are thought of as purely just as employees not as somebody who's actually vested in the business you also really got to value people for them to be able to go above and beyond for you uh, my management philosophy is um like TLDR is very much uh, Ray Dalio principles book. You've got to figure out the motivations and incentives of these individuals. And as long as they align to the high level company goals, then it should be a check mark for you because they're going to go above and beyond for the company. The company is going to be successful and they themselves are going to be happy and going to learn and grow throughout their whole career, not just while they're within this particular team or this company. So for me, a management relationship or the job of a manager, no matter what title or role you're at, is your job is to make these people successful. So figure them out, figure their personalities out, where their strengths, where their areas of mo- uh, improvement, and what exactly are their kind of motivations. For some folks, it might be that I want to work on the most technically challenging things. For other things, it's just that I really just care about the people that I work with and I want to make sure that that's a 
you know, enjoyable environment. For other people, it may be that I just want to work on whatever the client facing, the biggest PR thing is going to be for the company, right? So try to figure that out. Then try to figure out, like when I'm staffing opportunities, it's based on company priorities, the person's skill set, and their interest. And then how does that, as the whole ecosystem, align together? Because it's not just about Bob as an individual having this particular role within the project. It's also about how he is going to get along um, technically and culturally with like, you know, um, Alice and Kevin and John and all these other individuals within the group as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy, I suppose, is it, to, to kind of really get to understand each and every individual person. But when you do get it right, you know, and you kind of really get that concept where the, the whole is greater than some of its parts, mm-hmm. you know, you really can get um, amazing uh, results can't be amazing things if everybody is pushing in the right direction um, but I think it's uh, one of the most difficult things to do in management in general really probably not necessarily technology management it's just getting everybody aligned you know when because the best teams in my opinion are diverse teams you know because everybody brings a different perspective a uh, different viewpoint onto it but because everybody is different everyone's got a different you know kind of uh, yeah. motive and, and kind of reason and I suppose idea of what they believe success is and what it looks like so okay. to get everybody uh, swimming in the same direction yeah. is, is no no mean feat is it? Well the way I view it is that no matter which function role industry you're in at the beginning of your career it's pretty much just technical challenges that are kind of keeping you on your feet and you're learning and growing with and then as you grow more experienced it's the cultural challenges and that's because people are the most frustrating, annoying, painful, but also the most fun and interesting aspects. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's an argument and there's like, you know, a trend and there's some startups that are coming up in that trend in terms of like actually automating a lot of the um, tech work in terms of infrastructure. I mean, you kind of already see that in terms of websites with Squarespace, Shopify, and some in the mobile space as well. So I very much think that we can we'll probably get to a world where even in terms of back-end technology, there are literally like pieces that you can just use and add your business logic on top. But mm-hmm. what you cannot automate away is, and that's the harder piece at least, is more so that people management aspect uh, where a lot of it is super subjective and some of it can be very kind of like intrinsic as well too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you kind of touched on on diversity there obviously in talking about you know, different people different motivations diversity is one of those real kind of hot topics isn't it in, in tech in particular i think it's fair to say because okay. you know let's face it it's not the most diverse of industries yeah. um so where do you kind of sit on you know i think women in tech is an obvious one and it, it kind of gets caught up in the, the whole diversity um you know, conversation um and I'm always really interested to kind of hear people's perspective on, on women in tech, why the, the tech market is the way it is at the moment, yeah. uh, what we can do um, you know, to potentially kind of even that balance up slightly. Um, so, yeah, what's, what's your kind of take on um, women in technology uh, and how the market exists as it does at the moment? Um, yeah, definitely topical and something that I think has been in the works for quite some time and will probably continue to be. Um, I was actually quite uneducated about some of the stats and somebody told me um, she's this very kind of like senior person and she's been working for the past like 30 plus years or so. And um, she actually started working as a programmer because that's what they were calling that DNA somewhere around the 70s. And she was like around that time, 
the stats were 40% of programmers were female. And somewhere wow. down the line, things have actually deteriorated. So somehow we've gotten worse. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, you know, gender diversity uh, is super important. Race diversity is, of course, super important. Uh, but what kind of annoys me a little bit is that most companies, even super large ones, those are kind of like the only stats that they look at. Versus mm. I think diversity is so much more than just what I tick off in terms of like I'm a woman, man, or come from this particular race. Some of the ones that are more near and dear to me is more so um, diversity of different personality types and diversity in terms of socioeconomic diversity, which is not particular to tech, although there does tend to be that thing of like, oh, did that person go to like Ivy League school or over here, like Oxbridge type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because good talent can literally come from anywhere. Um, Particularly on the women in tech, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that needs to be done there. Um, It's interesting, another one of my friends was telling me that every single female tech person that she knew has now switched over. Um, and gone into some other profession because they just cannot deal with it anymore. There's this great Medium article that's a few years old now that's talking about the real reason why women leave tech. Uh, And the feedback when I shared it with a few of my friends that are not just in tech, they're actually VCs or in finance, all of them have really been able to identify with it. One of them literally wrote me like this huge essay thing on each one of the points. But the big thing is that the culture that has been actually created literally down to kind of the um, office space as it may be, which we were talking about before when we were setting up, tends to be more so attracting a certain personality type and a certain kind of like this white male kind of probably started coding at a super young and early age, very kind of like geek and nerdy as it may be. Um, So there's a lot of changes that need to happen, but... At the end of it, at least for me, it comes down to diversity at the top that can then create these changes. I see many companies that are like, yeah, we totally care about diversity, but then the person, people that you see in charge in terms of the exec team, or the person who's head of like people and talent who's talking about it, literally in that half an hour meeting with them, like I can list out so many of the points implicitly and explicitly that they've done that were just so concerning for me, yet somehow this person is responsible for bringing about this change. Interesting, interesting. So, I mean, yeah, some really um, big stats there that I had no idea that actually there's been a deterioration. If anything, I thought it was probably the way around, mm-hmm. that it's been a steady incline in, in women in technology. But that is really interesting. So that article you mentioned, what were kind of some of the major points why women were leaving the tech scene? Uh, well, first and foremost, it kind of came down to kind of like that culture, which I think is true of like any sort of diversity that you're trying to create. And I think one important part is that it was talking about what the real reason why women leave tech, but you can literally use that same example for like other sort of diversity that you're doing. Mm. The one that really stuck out to me and I identified quite a bit with is that um, for women in terms of trying to create this diversity or to create opportunities for any other minorities, what people will try to do is like, we'll give you mentors. They don't need mentors, they need advocates. And that's a big difference. And you need advocates right at that top layer that will be speaking kind of on your behalf and be able to represent you versus a mentor who's going to be like, no, 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 Rija, this is what you need to improve. Or in this area, you did not do this well. So that was one of the key differences. The other stuff was literally in terms of kind of like personality types, which definitely I kind of identified with quite a bit. There's certain um, stereotype that is almost expected of women 
And if you're not kind of that extremely kind of like pleasant, smiley face type of thing, then you're all of a sudden classed in this extremely antagonistic category uh, with, you know, even certain um, swear words associated with. Um, and if a male colleague has some of these same attributes, then he's given kind of like a pat on the back and like kind of good on you and you're such a great leader and a strong personality and you stand up for what you believe in. So it's very much a lot of kind of like small little stuff mm. in terms of what people are um, like, you know, actually felt good about in one particular group versus another one. Other stuff is, which might be a little bit of a stereotype and a little cyclical, is just sometimes women or girls in general, there can be a little bit of like, they lack confidence. Um, and I don't know if that's like true in all cases. It may be in some cases and it takes a lot to kind of maybe get over that hurdle or other arguments in terms of just the gender pay gap might be, um, oh, women just don't negotiate well, right? Um, and I gave this talk uh, last year on uh, diversity at Facebook and I was going through a bunch of these stats, but it was kind of just shocking, literally in terms of hiring where you know the man and woman came in and same job roles same people that they're talking to had the same arguments um and the male candidate was actually given an increase versus the woman was actually then frowned upon and almost like should you know take back the offer so to speak in this particular case as it may be right mm. um or just the opportunities that are kind of like being looked upon as it may be for those individuals within that environment I mean, even over here in London, I know so many scenarios where it is that two same candidates, same level of experience, literally the same companies, um, and a company that is, you know, like, not naming any places, but like literally these companies that are touted as like the best tech examples or the really value people, and they're so great in terms of diversity and all these things. And these are the companies for the very crucial departments that are actually creating these gender pay gaps. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is incredible, isn't it, really, when you think about it and how many examples you do see, and um, especially in this day and age when people are trying to do more about it. Like I said, that there's so many examples that are readily, that can be seen in the marketplace. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it is a real, real issue, isn't yeah, it, at the yeah. end of the day, it's something that people we need to be more aware of. and. Yeah. And, and realize that you know may, maybe we are operating from subconscious bias or whatever but we've got to be aware of that and and address it you know uh, it's not it's not an excuse to just say oh well you know that's that's the way it's always been yeah. it's a case of you know we need to address it and um, and, and fast yeah i mean given especially particularly um the role and profession you're in like one of the big changes that's talked about but you don't actually find a lot of companies doing that is going down to your job description as it may be. There's actually like online tools that you can use to analyze that, that how much of your job description that you've put out speaks more so to the male candidates versus the female candidate. To, we were talking about that whole sourcing aspect to ultimately when you're doing the interviews, right? So when you're doing that sourcing aspect, who are the people that you're reaching out to? There's been many cases where in the past, um, I've heard from other people or seen this myself. It's like, well, I'm sorry. It's just that there were no female candidates or there were very few female candidates. Well, go back and tell that recruiting partner to you know, go back and start that search all over again and do a much better job than going back to the job description. To ultimately, when you have that person come on site, who are the people that you're getting them to meet? 
I mean, even in the past when I've interviewed at places, um, some big tech companies that supposedly are on the forefront with this, I had a fully male and a, above a particular age set too, like middle-aged white male on that whole interview road as set. Mm. And for a company that is so large, has so many resources, if they're not able to do such a good job, then how does that speak to the much smaller companies that are much more financially constrained? Right? Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely. literally even like that startup stuff in terms of that initial interview process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite, it's quite counterintuitive in many ways, isn't it? If you think about it with companies, going back to the point we were making earlier about what they need to do to, sit, to give a good positive candidate experience and yeah. to secure the best talent, you know, to actually, I appreciate there's this point of, you know, you want to get the job and you want to pass this uh, seal of approval from the appointment of authority, you know, hence why you interview with managers in the business. But I think candidates actually want to also get to know people they're going to be spending time with on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and, you know, often when you interview at a company, you end up interviewing these people that you might only see once a year, yeah. but they need to give you this kind of seal of approval uh, versus actually... From a candidate's perspective, I think they were probably, okay, yes, they need to be able to tick in the box to make sure, again, you're the right person for the role. Yeah. But after that, actually, there's a huge amount of value in, um, you know, <laughs> meeting the people you're going to be working with, you know. Um, so, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. And just going back to a point you mentioned earlier about, you know, you see it as your job as a, a manager. And I totally agree with you, by the way, that, you know, your success as a manager is... Um, through the proxy of the success of your team, you know, and it's your job to help them be successful. Um, how, you know, what kind of tools do you um, uh, employ when it comes to really looking after someone's career development? Because, you know, career development is one of those things that gets banded around and it means a different thing in every business in terms of what's their career development structure. Um, but when you come to, you know, managing somebody and bringing them under your, your wing, yep. how do you go about looking after them and, and what sort of um, tools do you use to ensure that they are truly going down a path where you know they feel like they're being developed? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it very much also kind of depends uh, on the personality of the individuals. Having said that, if I'm all of a sudden going to be managing somebody that maybe either I newly joined this company or somebody newly joined my team, uh, a friend of mine actually uh, gave me this idea. He was doing this with his team, and it worked out really well. Was this thing called manager letter? And um, high level goal of this is like have this person write you a letter where oh this is in the past how my managing relationships have gone. This is what's worked well. This is what's not worked well. Any other thing that I should know about them in terms of their personality, their you know characteristic, uh, working style, communication as it may be, or any other constraints on them, as well as what they're looking to achieve with this particular team and high level with this company. And while I think you know life itself, not just the professional life, is very much based on luck and opportunity, and then you work your damn hardest. But, you know, having some thoughts, which some people tend to do in terms of their long-term career aspirations of where they would like to be. Um, again, very much based on the individual, because I've had some individuals that have written me like two paragraphs maximum and just kind of like gone through that because they really didn't see much value and that wasn't their way of communicating to another individual who literally wrote me a nine-page manager letter. Wow. And that itself, to be honest, says a lot to me about that individual and their personality as well, yeah, too. Absolutely, yeah. um, to another tool being personal development plans, which a lot of companies will have. 
Um, again, I like to curtail that very much more so to the individual because being brutally honest, um, I've never been much of a follower for them for myself in the past where I don't necessarily want to kind of like sit down and write kids like Stonewall to what should be going. Maybe I should have, but um, I very much think my belief in like worldview, particularly professional is like you will have different roles and levels but don't try to bucketize people or put them into these different uniform standards and try to understand each person because every person is unique as much as possible. Mm. Um, so if some individuals don't want to do that personal development plan, that also kind of like tells me a lot. There's of course one-on-ones, which I always look at. That's not my time, that's your time. We're not going to be talking about project status updates or whatever. What I usually do with those is always ask them of what cadence would you like them? Um, and even a few days before it's upcoming on the recurring schedule, any thoughts I might have on agenda items, which is usually more so if something's been happening around the company or just any updates that I think I can do with them. Because the other part of a manager, I think, or anybody in an inspirational leadership role is um, they're, they're looking for that other voice from that person. There's, of course, going to be like company all hands and emails and whatever's been going through and the CEO or other people have been talking and saying this. But I, as a manager, can also, based on whatever access I have within the company and whatever expertise or experience that I may have accrued over time, be able to kind of offer my voice on what's going on, which I think can be somewhat helpful because at the end of the day, at least what I grasp for and whatever I've seen other people grasp for is once you're within the company, it's actually not really so much about that particular like even project or the finances. It's actually more about that knowledge and you know knowledge or um, access is ultimately the truly powerful thing for people so i'll kind of send them these are the things we could talk about but also we don't have to talk about any of these things whatever it is that you may want to talk about uh please feel free to add that to the agenda or if you just want to come with it on the spot that's totally cool too and also kind of giving them the option of if they all of a sudden want to cancel this or if they want to change the frequency or whatever then that's totally their call um, the other stuff is I'll do like skip level meetings, so people that are not reporting into me, but a layer below me, just to kind of get that flavor, both in terms of how people that are directly reporting into me, how they're doing, but also the layer below in terms of what they feel of them. Um, I mean, you do these pulse surveys that are anywhere from kind of like at least six months to like a year timeline in terms of how that culture is going. And I usually tend to do these retrospectives with my team where the cadence is at least like usually every quarter, if not every six months. And that's not just on the cultural aspect, but it's more so like overall as a team, how have we been doing? What's worked well, what hasn't worked well? And for the future, there are some things that may have worked well, but may not work well for the future. So how can we kind of go about that? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, when it comes to managing people and, and kind of my abiding take on it, um, yeah. Your approach there sounds like you know you're actually very quite flexible with the people you know to adjust your approach depending on the person and I think that's absolutely key and um, you know because in my experience people don't really want to be told what to do you know they don't, they don't want to be managed um, they want to be understood yep. you know um, and uh, you know in my experience of, of managing teams I would always sit down at the beginning of the year. And really understand, you know, what what do you want to get out of this yeah. job? You know, what do you want to get out of this year? Because it is different for every single person. And just even going on that journey together of sitting down and them actually telling you why they're there, what what they want, uh, why they want it. That that act in itself, I find, binds you a lot closer to the people within your team, where they 
they genuinely feel like okay well you understand me you, yeah. you know what I'm here for yeah. um, and I think it's something that's you know so fundamentally important that so many managers in my opinion from what I've experienced just don't do yeah. you know they really don't uh, don't yeah. get that bit right so um, yeah that's yeah, really interesting I think the key there as you kind of mentioned sorry I'm interrupting is mm-hmm. that it's not it's not that you're their manager and definitely kind of like not their boss as it may be you're actually that supporter that enabler behind the scenes yeah that's going to help them set them up for success so whatever you need i'm there as your helper absolutely yeah i heard a great quote the other day that you know, it's talking about leaders are people that know the way go the way and show the way mm-hmm. you know so you kind of they're using your experience to hopefully guide them in the right way but you know people are there to be led they're not there to be managed, you know. So um, I think you've got to lead people uh, encouragingly in the right way, rather than uh, you know the, the whole parentistic approach. And yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Rija, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you today. Thank you very much for taking the time to come in and, and meet with me and uh, have a have a chat. Um, I like to end uh, each podcast with uh, one of my favourite questions, which is if you were to pass on one piece of advice you know what's your favorite piece of advice that you would pass on not necessarily in the context of you know building high performance engineering teams but if there's one piece of advice that you would pass on to your uh, your fellow man uh, or, or lady um what would that be oh, um, that's a good one well also uh, thank you for having me um i think the one i mean there's quite a few that i've kind of like used not just in my career but in my life but I think one that has probably served me well to some degree, managed to meander through my career for, is um, be flexible, being flexible to both the business as well as like the environment around you in terms of whenever, um, and I think when we met up as well too, and you're asking me, oh, how would you kind of like slot yourself in terms of the skill set, in terms of kind of people management, technical ability, or even project management and strategy. And my answer, which may not have been super helpful to you, is at least I feel like the way I've kind of grown in my career is being extremely flexible to the environment and the business and what it needs, and then being quickly adaptable to that, mm. uh, to those particular opportunities and the needs of the system. Um, so yeah, that would be my kind of little advice. Very good piece of advice. In a world that is ever-evolving and ever-changing, I can see that uh, being flexible is a very important one. So uh, fantastic. All right, well, thank you very much again. Thank you. Great to see you and uh, thanks for your time. Thank you so much.